friends, welcome back to the Female Founder World Podcast. I'm Jasmine, I'm the host of the show, and I've got another Aussie on the podcast today. It's Iris Smith. She is the founder of two beauty brands, The Quick Flick and Beauty Fridge. Both of them are based in Australia and they're pretty big beauty companies, to be honest. One news report put her revenue at around 15 million a year in 2021. I think it sounds about right. She is in some of the biggest retailers in the country. Honestly, like in terms of transparency, I really try to bring guests on the show who will give you a no kind of BS account of entrepreneurship and how they're building their companies. Iris does that. She really delivers. There's no holding back. I hope you really enjoyed this show. And a quick reminder to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen if you're enjoying Female Founder World. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Grinesworthy. Iris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Let's kick off by giving a bit of an overview about what it is that you're building. Tell us about your business in a few words. Sure. So, well, my business is called The Quick Flick. I do have another one as well called Beauty Fridge, but I think we'll speak mostly about Quick Flick today. Quick Flick is a beauty brand that I started in 2017, literally from my dining room table. And the concept around the brand is to create beauty products that are quicker, easier, well thought out, and ultimately help the consumer to achieve a better look in half the amount of time. Where were you in your life that made you think that this was an idea that you saw the opportunity? The main reason was ultimately because I wasn't very good at makeup and watched (laughs) watched hours and hours of YouTube videos and I just thought, hang on a minute, maybe it's not me that's bad. Maybe it's just the tools that I'm using could be improved. So I was an architect student, so I had a design background and started just like working on a concept to improve winged eyeliner. Everyone knows that's very difficult. (laughs) And yeah, the concept of a stamp came about having a shape that was already there that you could just press on that was designed to suit your left and your right eye. And yeah, the rest was history. Now every single product that we bring out is all about solving a particular problem or like a pain point to make the application easier and quicker. Yeah, you're not one of those beauty brands that just kind of like bringing out a new moisturizer for the sake of bringing out a new moisturizer or something like that. You do seem to be like very focused on, okay, what's the problem and what is a time saver solution here? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we do take a little bit more time because it's not rushed. It's very thought out. We do a lot of research to try and understand like what pain points do consumers have? How could we make like the absolute perfect solution that ticks off every single box. And the pricing is pretty accessible as well. Why did you decide to go that route with the pricing strategy? I think the main reason was for that accessibility and that also fed into the retailers that we chose to go into as well. Having a having a destination that was more accessible and anyone could afford it because, yeah, ultimately makeup is for everyone, right? For folks who maybe are not based in Australia, they're not familiar with what you're doing, are there any like milestones or some big moments that you can share to help people just understand you've taken this brand from, you know, your dining room table in 2017 to somewhere much, much different now? What are some of those big milestones that you kind of like point to when you say, hey, look what, we, look what we've built, look what we've done? I think the main one was going on Shark Tank, Australia's Shark Tank. That happened early 2018. So... <laughs> literally a few months after I started working on the brand. Wild. I know. And originally I 
was hesitant to go on the show because everyone who goes on there always has like very well-established businesses Mm -hmm. and they've been doing it for a long time. I think when I got the email to apply, I had only been doing it for about three months. So very early. But that obviously just exploded the business because it had so many eyes on it watching the show. All the PR that came about after that, it was just incredible. And like the numbers that we did in a few days were like months worth of sales. So that definitely helped and sort of like put us in front of the eyes of so many people. I would say not off the back of that, but after that, we launched into a major retailer in Australia called Priceline. So we got about 250 doors. And that obviously, again, so much foot traffic in those stores. But also, we found that a lot of customers who had seen us online and perhaps were like hesitant to purchase because maybe they didn't think that the product would work for them or they weren't sure what size to get because we also have a range of different sizes to suit different preferences, eye types. They were able to actually go in store and try the product, test it. We saw, yeah, a massive influx of those customers who had seen us, but for some reason were hesitant to buy online. Mm -hmm. You you get those people who only shop beauty in store, right? They went in store and, and started purchasing from Priceline. So that was a massive moment. Amazing. Recently, we launched our sunscreen range into grocery store, which we've never gone into grocery before. One of the reasons for that as well, like from what we identified with COVID is who's going to shut down in a lockdown? Grocery is always open. Priceline had to close because they, not all Pricelines are pharmacies. Some are, but a lot of our stores were affected, which obviously impacted our growth. So we wanted to sort of like create a, COVID proof or pandemic proof Mm -hmm. strategy where a product like sunscreen you could purchase from any grocery store because they're going to remain open during a pandemic so yeah that that's definitely a highlight that was amazing to see it literally just happened on Monday (laughs) incredible and you know what like for folks who aren't listening I need to I need you to understand Priceline is like if you're in the UK it's like boots it is the it is a big chain in Australia it's a really big deal I don't even know if there is an equivalent in the in the US maybe it's like an upscale CVS I don't know it's a ubiquitous chain across the country and the grocery store that you launched into is Coles which Mm. is again there's two major grocery chains in Australia and that's one of them so it's a huge achievement for a brand that's five years old Mm. Thanks. (laughs) Let's talk about the the early days. We can see these milestones that you've hit and how much growth you've had. I need to understand how this happened. How did Mm -hmm. you get from your dining room table through to Priceline? Because that happened really quickly. And I know that it also, the the deal came about before Shark Tank aired. So there must've been something else that was happening behind the scenes there that helped you land that that deal. A lot of hard work, (laughs) a lot of late nights. People think like, I feel like with the, like, all of TikTok and this whole like build a business pack mm-hmm. and order with me, it's been really glamorized, but it's really not like it's a lot of hard work and it's, it can be quite lonely because you're staying up super late and you're not seeing, you know, your friends as much or going out. So in the early days, it, there was no like secret sauce other than just like putting in the hours and working on the business constantly. Every free moment I had, even when I was still at uni, still working full time, every spare moment that I had was going into the business. So Mm -hmm. it was a lot of that in the early days. And also 2017 was kind of like that peak social media influencer era before it kind of like really exploded. So 
when I first started, I was just sending out hundreds of eyeliner stamps to influencers. People were just posting about it organically. We had Huda Beauty, Huda Katan, the founder of Mm -hmm. Huda Beauty. She organically posted at the time, I think she had about 25 million followers. So a massive platform that we were also exposed to. That is awesome. Yeah. And I think just from all of that like organic hype that I created, because at the time I didn't have a lot of money to be paying influencers. It was just reaching out, having a conversation in DMs, telling them my story, sending them the product. Off that, we got a, a few PR pieces. I think the first one we got was a Daily Mail article. I remember the title. Mm-hmm. It was like, woman invents stamp for your eyes or something like that. <laughs> it, it was just creating that brand awareness. It was lots of little things that just built brand awareness, brand awareness, brand awareness. And just so happened that the buyer from Priceline must have seen us on social media somewhere reached out. She reached out in February of 2018. So I started in August of 2017. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a lot of time in between. Yeah. So she reached out, you know, she said she loves the product, was very unique, wanted to get it in their stores. And then pretty much straight after that, I filmed Shark Tank in February. Shark Tank aired in May. And yeah, we launched into Priceline in November, I think. So it was just a lot of brand awareness that came about from just organic outreach, organic PR that we got. And I think also just a genuine love of the product from our customers because they were just naturally sharing and speaking about it online. I think that this really speaks to two things. One of them is that you never go wrong if you're focusing on a product that truly solves a solution. And the other one is you never know who's watching on social media. And when you're showing up consistently, you do tend to find the right people. A hundred percent. You just need that one one video to land in front of the right person. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And when you think about influencer strategy and influencer gifting, how has your strategy evolved with both like the business getting significantly bigger, but also the landscape has shifted so much? Like it is harder. Even micro influencers now are expecting a fee for Mm. partnerships a lot of the time, unless you have like a really expensive product. How has your approach shifted as this landscape has evolved? So now we do, we do a lot of affiliate marketing. So we do gifting and we give influencers a code and they can make a commission off every sale that they put through, which is actually good for the influencer if they have the right audience there and um, Mm -hmm. a genuine connection. They can actually make a lot more money in the long run versus just paying them one time to promote one post. And I think that's where it's really changed. Consumers no longer will convert just from seeing, well, I mean, some will, but not as easily as the early days when an influencer would just have to post one time and you'd get thousands and thousands of dollars of sales. It just doesn't really happen anymore. The consumer kind of has to see it multiple times to really trust that, okay, this influencer does genuinely love this product. I feel comfortable buying it because I think people got so overwhelmed with seeing so much sponsored content that they Mm -hmm. actually lost that trust with influencers. So we do a lot of affiliate marketing. We still do gifting as well. We try to make like the gifting super personal as well. So when we sent out, say, the the Coles launch, we put like a story in there and it was like signed by myself just so it didn't feel like just a generic package and sort of told the story about the launch and the products so that it felt, yeah, quite personal, like they were getting a, a package from me almost. So I'd say that's the main the main way that we've changed it, but also we're kind of treating ourselves as influencers, if that makes yeah. sense. So it's all yeah. it's shifted very much around 
you're not really like you're still a brand but it's like what's your brand influence and especially me as a founder as well when I first started I didn't get in front of the camera at all hated it Mm-hmm. Didn't want to be known as the face of the brand. Then Shark Tank happened. Had no choice. I was, totally. I was You're on in, TV. I was on TV. <laughs> so, you know, I was really thrown in the deep end. So I've really tried to build myself, I guess you could say, as an influencer, as the brand founder, telling my story, trying to educate, showing behind the scenes, showing like today after our call, which is why I'm not wearing any makeup, I'm going to our manufacturing lab. You're not allowed to wear makeup at these labs. And we're going to be filming like a whole vlog around the whole manufacturing process that goes into our products. So it's really about that storytelling, connecting with the consumer and having that influence on them, not just by my products, but this is everything that goes yeah. into it. And this is our mission. This is our story. It, it just has gone a lot deeper now. Yeah. Everyone's a media company now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's no getting away from, from making that content. You have to be, you have to be showing up particularly if you're a consumer brand. And I feel like the OG listeners of the podcast is sick of me talking about this, but <laughs> I am so fascinated by this new movement towards founders being the face of their brands and what that means and how, and like how that shifts the way that we think about a CEO and, and everything that that means for a, the way that women are represented in business and also be what the impact of that is on an entrepreneur. Are you someone who is more comfortable? Would you rather be crunching numbers and leading a team behind the scenes? Or are you much more comfortable now showing up on camera, making content? Like where do you sit in that kind of spectrum? I'm comfortable doing both, honestly. Originally, I wasn't comfortable like doing the numbers. Mm. COVID definitely forced me to do that. But I also had this toxic mentality that I wasn't a numbers person and I wasn't and I was more of a creative person which I know stemmed just from my upbringing and what people had been telling me growing up so I'm honestly comfortable doing both I I love making videos probably too much to the point where if I get an idea at 11 at night I'm like I have to email that to myself otherwise I'm going to forget it yes yep (laughs) or I just whip out like my camera then and there and just film something which is literally what I did yesterday but yeah equally I'm comfortable doing the other stuff as well but definitely agree there's so much importance in doing that and I think it's just about being more accessible to your consumers like there used to be this like massive divide between like you know the CEO they were untouchable they were kind of secretive almost you didn't know who they were and it's really like flipped itself people almost want to know like who's actually working in your company what do you stand for yeah they do absolutely and I think when you think about content online people follow people they're not following products and Mm -hmm. so you're doing yourself a massive disservice I think in a lot of ways if you don't have a, a, a genuine like person representing the brand whether that's the founder or whether that's somebody else you're missing a massive opportunity I read a little note here before when you were talking about affiliate marketing are you using a specific platform or any tools that you can recommend for folks who want to get into that we use a platform called affiliately which Mm -hmm. plugs into your Shopify store it's it's basic but it's very easy to navigate and the main thing that I like about it is you set your affiliate up on there you can give them either like a code or a unique link to track what sales they make and then it will report on total sales made what the commission is you can connect affiliately with your paypal they put in their paypal details it pays them straight out so we just do that every two weeks make payments they can log in and track how many sales they've made as well 
very user-friendly. Amazing. We love a Shopify app. What other kind of like tools or platforms are you using that you that you recommend? We use Klaviyo for all, all of our email. We were on MailChimp before, but then we moved to Klaviyo, which has been great for us. For reviews, we use Akendo, which I really like. I like how the review can also be pulled onto Google as well. So when someone searches the product, the reviews will show up pulled from Akendo. And I also like that you can choose specific attributes that a consumer can rate you on because that really helps with determining how we can improve the product. So you know, yep. if they're rating it on a scale of quality or how long the product held, if we're only getting you know 50% on one of those, it's like, hang on, we can make an improvement here. And... For like post-purchase, we use Zipify. So that's an app that basically hijacks the checkout process. And after a customer has finished their order, instead of taking them to the confirmation page, it will show up with a limited time offer for them to add another product to their cart at a discount. So that's actually worked very well for us. Unfortunately, it doesn't work with like Afterpay is those buy now pay later services it will only work if the customer's checked out like using card on shopify but that's great we've i think about 20 percent of people will add another product to their cart oh wow that's a pretty high yeah that's a high rate yeah very high so we offer like a 20 or 25 percent off off that product which for us when we crunch the numbers it makes sense because that customer's already got multiple products in their cart so we can afford to give that discount. So that's that works very well for us as well. We have a good app for Stockist Locator. So if you have any retail stores, I would definitely recommend having that on your website. Stockist Locator is really good. You just upload a file of all of the stores and then it geolocates the customer's nearest store when they're using it. I think those are the main ones. <laughs> There's so much practical. I love like a practical recommendation that people can go and literally install into their mm. business right now. When you think about holistically how you have up level and grown as a founder, I love speaking with folks who don't come from a business degree background and they're coming from someone who maybe has a real affinity with the customer or the product and, and they've learned the business skills on the job. I'd love to understand some of the things that have really helped you as you've been up leveling as a founder, because your business has grown really quickly. And when you think about how young you were, when you started, I can't imagine that it was all super smooth sailing. No, it's been an interesting journey. And yes, I definitely mm. haven't come from a business background. My dad, actually, my biological dad, who I didn't meet till I was 21, he mm. came from a business background, but He's not done very well for himself. So right. I don't think that runs in the genes. But yes, definitely been learning along the way. And I think that's attributed to my mindset of always being open and willing to learn new things and just staying like super curious. And, you know, if, some, if a problem comes up thinking, hang on, this is actually an opportunity for me to learn. It's not necessarily a setback. And always been willing to learn from others as well not letting your ego get in the way. <laughs> a big thing for me, actually, I joined a group of other female entrepreneurs and we meet online every two weeks. Sometimes we pick a topic and we'll share our thoughts and opinions on the topic. But sometimes it's just like an open floor where we just throw in, hey, I've got this issue. I've got this problem. What do you guys think? How do you think we could solve it? Or 
you know, do you have any recommendations for SEO or this agency? Mm. And that's been really, really helpful rather than, you know, seeing those people as competitors. And some of us have similar businesses, not direct competitors, but similar landscapes. That's been extremely helpful to me. And I've been doing that for the last three years, actually. I love the idea of that, like really collaborative approach. This is a very special message for our people in LA or actually anyone who has friends or community in Los Angeles because Female Founder World is joining forces with Shopify. We're hosting the ultimate night for consumer brand builders in LA. It's called Brand Camp. And after a sellout New York showcase, we're bringing this founder favorite event to LA and it is free to attend. Join us for a panel conversation with Amy Liu, the founder of Tower 28, Natalie Holloway, the founder of Bala, and moderated by me, the creator of Female Founder World, Jasmine Garns with E+. Plus, we have a very special guest who'll be on the panel and is yet to be announced. We'll also have a glitter bomb bar by Art of Sucre. We're going to have some drinks and food and a curated female founder market. Like I said, registration is free for this event, but space is really limited. Our last event actually hit capacity in 24 hours. So make sure if you want to come, if you know someone who's going to love this, hit the link in our show notes to confirm your spot right now. See you there. I want to ask you for a resource and and that could be something that is a practice that you've taken up as you've been building the business. It could be a book or something that's kind of like helped you as you've been up-leveling and growing the business. Hmm. So I would say what I just said to that around finding other like-minded people in your space. I, aside from what I just said, I've also got like a Slack channel and I'll reach out to other entrepreneurs on Instagram and be like, you know, hey, blah, 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 let's chat, let's catch up for a coffee. And then we have a Slack channel. So I think I've got like almost 20 founders on my Slack channel, like direct Slack channels to them. And Mm -hmm. we just sometimes chat every now and again, throw a question at each other. Because most of the time they've, you know, maybe worked through a problem that I'm currently having or vice versa. I would say definitely build a solid support network around you of people who are in a similar space as you because that's the other thing the journey can get very lonely and in Australia especially there's a lot of tall poppy syndrome and when you're speaking to people who are not on the same wavelength as you you can very quickly start to question yourself or doubt yourself or just get into a frame of mind that's not going to help your business ultimately so definitely surrounding yourself with people and also resources to help that as well there's it's hard for me to recommend like one book or one podcast because they're all so helpful in their, and beneficial in their own right. So I would just say reach out and get resources that help you be the person you want to be or where you want to get to. Something that I wanted to flag there is you use the phrase tall poppy syndrome and I use this a lot as well. And folks in the US, like what, what are you what are you talking about? <laughs> so for people who don't understand what tall poppy syndrome is, it's this very sadly it's like very Australian mentality. I've seen it in the UK a little bit as well, but I don't see it in the US as much. And it really is that when somebody gets too, too big for their boots or like they get too successful or whatever, by whatever standard you've deemed is too much, you cut them down. It happens to women a lot, I would say more so than men. And I think it comes from this real like scarcity mentality about maybe the market size in Australia being smaller or or something where I just feel like there's a real, I don't know, people not kind of breaking out of their molds and feeling like when other people do, it's like quite threatening. Whereas in 
particularly in New York, like I don't see that. It's much more collaborative. It's much more when you tell someone that you have a big audacious goal, folks like much more likely to kind of like cheer you on. And that's kind of, that's what you mean by a tall poppy syndrome, Mm. I think. Yes, no, definitely. And tall poppy syndrome can happen in your own business. I've experienced Mm. that first Talk to me about that. It's not just strangers on the internet. It can also happen from friends who you've had for a lifetime. It can happen to employees that have been in your business for a few years and then for whatever reason start to form jealousy because uh, most of the time I think tall poppy syndrome comes from people being insecure in themselves and totally wanting something that you have. So to try and make themselves feel better about it, they try to pull you down to their own level. I definitely saw it at the start when I first started my business and I was kind of just getting like friends or friends of friends to help me come and pack my orders and do things. And there was almost like this toxic jealousy that started festering. It was almost like, holy shit, like Iris is doing so well. There's so many orders. Like, Who does she think she is? (laughs) Who does she think she is? That's what it is. Yeah. And I could tell it was just like the energy and the attitude shifted very quickly, especially after Shark Tank when there was thousands of orders. It was almost like, yeah, this energy shifted in my business. And it was definitely from them having this internal jealousy that I was doing well. How do you handle that? I got them out of my business. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's a, it's like a cancer. It spreads and it can spread to everyone else in your team. And then you've got people who are actually working against you rather than trying to work towards this greater goal that you're trying to achieve in your company. What about mentally? How do you, how do you handle that mentally? Because I feel like they could be, you, you can go two ways with it where you are either the, the, that doubt kind of seeps in to you or you can stand in your conviction about what you're doing and your, your right to kind of claim this space and what you're building. How did you decide to take the latter route? I just think that that's not necessarily the reaction everyone would have. Mm, I think it's realizing that everyone has their own shit that they're trying to deal with. Like we've yeah. all been through something. We all have a story. And I think it's just having that empathy and taking a step back and like just seeing it for what it is and thinking, okay, hang on a minute. This person is trying to deal with their own traumas, their own feelings of self-worth and just realizing it's actually not personal. They're they're just projecting what's going on inside with them. Yeah. And not it's not about of, you, it's about them. It's not about you. That's what I always say. Like, not everything's about you, Iris. It's actually all about yeah. them. <laughs> it's not personal. Like you it could be somebody else in your position and they would still be treating them the same way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just being that's a really liberating. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a really liberating way to think of it. Before we were chatting, you were talking about how you have also been doing not like therapy wasn't the word you use, but like a life coach and you've had someone kind of like help counsel you through a few like tricky things as you've mm. been building the business. What are some lessons that you've taken away from that? <sighs> how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I think the main one and I will say trigger warning for anybody listening who's experienced domestic violence. The mm-hmm. main thing that that it really helped me with when I when I hit probably the peak success of my business in 2019, I hit the bottom of my mental health, absolute floor bottom. I was so depressed. I was suicidal. I hated my life. I hated everyone. I thought I was so broken and it was all stemming from my upbringing, which was very violent, physical abuse, 
mental abuse from my stepfather. I left home when I was 17. There was just a lot of shit that I was dealing with. I hadn't met my biological father. That's a whole other story. There was just a lot of childhood trauma. And I think the way that I was dealing with that trauma was working myself to the bone, trying to prove myself, trying to prove my worth. I am worthy of something. And there was also that element of wanting to own something because everything had been taken away from me throughout my childhood. And I was very determined to build something that I could truly say, hey, this is mine. No one can take this away from me. But unfortunately, when you have that mentality, nothing is ever good enough. And you're constantly trying to work and thinking, maybe that next thing will bring me that little spark of happiness. And on paper, you know, you'd think, holy moly, this girl is so lucky. Her business is doing so well. She's got an amazing boyfriend. She's got a nice place, like ticked all the boxes. And that's where where I really hit rock bottom. I was like, oh my God, I've got everything and I'm still not Mm. happy. I'm still so empty. So the main thing that she really helped me with was switching my mindset around I don't need to work and be successful to prove myself to anybody. That's not what I'm doing. I'm I'm actually doing this for me because I'm really good at it and I enjoy it and it can be a fun yeah. journey. And it's not about proving your self-worth. I think that was the main piece. It was me regaining that sense of self-worth and realizing that I was always worthy. I was born worthy. My self-worth was never up for debate. She kind of just helped me regain that and refind it. And when I found it, it just switched the way that I worked and why I showed up every single day at work. And it got me out of that burnout mentality and that hustle mentality. And I have to constantly be working. And if I'm not working, I feel guilty because my self-worth was tied to that, right? So... People are yeah. going to be nodding their heads about this. <laughs> Even folks who don't come from the same, you know, that same trauma background that you've had, who are still like, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, their self-worth is tied to their work. And when something mm-hmm. doesn't work out, it is, or or even when something does work out, but it didn't go as you expected, or you don't feel the way that you thought you would feel when it happens. Mm. And you have wrapped up so much of your identity and your worthiness within that work it's hard to separate like out who we are from the business that we're building and from what we're creating out in the world. And, and like untethering that I think is something that a lot of people who are self-employed are dealing with. Mm. Yeah, totally. And the, the, the main thing I struggled with was like celebrating my successes. Like when we launched into Priceline, I was like, Oh cool. But like, it's still not enough. Like nothing yeah. was good enough. And that's where that burnout comes from is because you're just constantly working yourself to the ground and constantly trying to work on that next thing and I've really realized it's not about the destination it is really about enjoying the journey along the way celebrating those small wins taking a step back and looking at what you've done and going holy moly like I'm incredible I've done a great job look at how many people I've positively impacted and just practicing that every day I used to have a alarm set on my phone It was a non-negotiable. Every hour it went off, give yourself a piece of self-praise because I had such a negative voice in my head where if I did something, oh, you're an idiot. How could you get that wrong? Are you serious? You're so stupid. That's how I used to speak Mm. to myself. And I would play the re-script game. Every time I catch myself saying that, no, re-script it. No, you're not stupid, Iris. You made a mistake because you've never done this before. Like, hello, what do you expect? 
and the alarm would go off every hour. Self-praise is what it would say. Stop and give yourself some self-praise for something that you've done amazing today. can be anything. Oh, you know, I made a really good coffee or oh, I got that thing done yeah. or whatever it is. And I just got into this routine of constantly self-praise, self-praise, like just be proud of what you're doing. So it is about that journey. It's not just celebrating that one big win that might take years to achieve. It's all those little wins along the way. And that's what really makes the journey worthwhile. So that's something else you could also do. The rescript game and the alarms. Yeah, that's an amazing piece of advice. And you know what you just said, you know, it's about those little moments as you go, not the not the big one at the end. And I think that the whole point of entrepreneurship for a lot of us is like, there is no end. You're doing this because you're there wired this way. <laughs> there is no end. There'll just be something else afterwards. There'll no. just be a new benchmark. There'll just be a new ceiling that you want to smash. Like there is no, you know, even an acquisition for a lot of people, that's just then their ticket to go in and become an investor or start something mm-hmm. new. Like there's always something else that is oh, innate yeah. to our personality as entrepreneurial people I think yeah 100% I always say that there's always something there's always gonna be something uh-huh <laughs> yeah, and speaking that. of that but before we before we jump off I want to know like what is next for the business like what are you what are you thinking about now what are the challenges that you're kind of looking to overcome or the opportunities that you're making the most of over the next you know six to 12 months hmm. I think the main thing for now well that I'm currently working on is um some new products so mm-hmm products that are more like centered in the I category as well to like really sort of complete some of our offering. The cold steel was definitely something that I worked on for a long time, especially because that required a lot of cash outlay to go into such a big um, retailer. Are you bootstrapped? Hold on. We didn't cover this. Are you bootstrapped or do you have funding? Yes. Yeah. Bootstrapped. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) The launch two lines into 820 stores and all your stands. Yeah. A lot. (laughs) Hold on, I like, I need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. How have you done that? And especially someone like you don't have an MBA, like you're learning this as you've been doing it, Mm. you know, in, in real time, how have you learned how to manage cash flow like that? COVID was a massive learning point for me. I, I think we mentioned before we jumped on the podcast. I had a mentality that I wasn't good at numbers. I was a creative person. Don't like numbers. Can't do maths. Hate it. Don't want to touch it. I've got that. Yeah. But then I realized, hang on, this is just a story I'm telling myself because growing up, my mom told me I wasn't good at maths. My teacher told me I wasn't good at maths. Then I thought, okay, I'm not going to take maths in high school because I'm not good at it. So when I got to my business, I was like, nah, don't care. It's not about the money for me. Blah, 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 blah. That was my How many women have that script going in their head? Yeah. So many. I speak to so many women. They're like, it's not about the money. And I'm like, you do realize the money is your feeding tube to your business. Like it's the number one most important thing. You need to look at that. (laughs) So yeah, COVID was a massive, massive slap in the face for me. Like it forced me to look at it because stores were closing. We had lockdowns. Purchase orders were put on hold. Some of our manufacturers couldn't operate. So it was a massive halt to the business. During that time, I upskilled massively, more than I've upskilled in the entire five years, like literally in the space of two, three weeks. It was like, boom. And I was like, hang on, I'm really good at maths and (laughs) I can actually use my creative brain to apply this to the numbers to find creative ways to have better cash flow, to have a better you know, bottom line in my business. And it kind of became fun to me. I was like, oh, what lever can I pull? Could I do that? Could I change that? Mm. Maybe I could take some spend from here and put it there. So 
I, yeah, I was forced to learn it. I was very lucky that I found a, like a CFO, I guess you could call him, who just taught me it. Like, this is what you do. I had them create a, like a, a financial tracker, I guess you could say, so I can see all my cash flow. They helped me to plan out the next financial year and the one after that. So I did seek some professional advice. And I think you need to when you're dealing with something that's so important that you don't know anything about. That that really, really helped me. And now I'm like looking all the time, like what are my numbers? What is the cash flow? What, what does that look like if I change it? So I would definitely recommend investing in that and putting a good system in place that helps you to run the numbers, to understand the numbers. And it doesn't need to take you that much time. On the topic of good apps, actually, I've just installed Triple Whale, which is very good. It's on the pricier side, mm-hmm. but I say, you know, like what's the true cost of not knowing your numbers properly? That's a, a good place to start if you if it's not in your budget to pay like a financial advisor or a CFO that plugs into your Shopify and you can put in all of your expenses in there. It pulls in all of your sales and it also plugs into all of your like Facebook, Instagram, Google. So it actually gives you the true attribution of your ads because you know how everything's skewed now with iOS. So it gives you the true metric for how are your ads returning. And then once it takes out all of your costs, it gives you your true profit. You can log in every single day and I can see the exact profit number that I've made every single day. I can't believe I'm going to have to end the show because I could talk to you all day, but we're (laughs) at time. And everything that you shared has been so tactical, so tangible, so transparent. Thank you so much for coming on Female Founder World. No worries. I'm glad it was helpful.